Praise the Lord, everyone. Great to be here with all of you at Lighthouse. Amen, and I'm sorry. Amen. If you have in nursery, if you have children ages one through three, I apologize. Amen. Your children are welcome to go to nursery at this time. We have, amen, staff there for you available so that you can enjoy the service. Again, if you have children ages one through three, right through the sanctuary doors and to your left, they're welcome to go at this time. John Feld, amen, come minister, thank you, thank you, amen, amen, nursery, one of the most overlooked ministries in the church, but it is a very vital uh, ministry, and the people that serve in that ministry uh, deserve a gold star, and a medal, and a gift card, and everything else. It is not an enviable uh, ministry to serve in, and uh, so we uh, commend them today uh, for what they do. <clears throat> in meeting your pastor and pastor's wife several years ago in uh, Mississippi, of all places, we uh, grew to love them very quickly and had such an amazing connection. I believe that God does all that stuff on purpose, and he connects uh, people in his kingdom because no one can do this alone. No one can do this alone. We all need each other. And we can't allow ourselves to believe that, listen, you're a part of the body of Christ that covers the globe. Sometimes it may feel like you're just a few people gathered in this space, but I promise you, you're connected to and you're a part of the body that covers the globe. Amen? So when you hear a report, and it always seems like the reports are coming out of the Philippines or they're coming out of Ethiopia or they're coming out of some other country where hundreds of thousands are receiving the Holy Ghost, that's us. That's us. We're a part of that. We're a part of that. We're a part of that. You say, well, I'd like to be a bigger part of that. Well, then I have a word for you today. Amen. If you'll give me just a little bit more monitor for me, I, I, however you handle out there is fine, but just I want to make sure that I go home with a little bit of a voice. And I really don't even need a microphone. Because we preach with microphones. If I'm not careful, I'll strip my voice out because it's something I've grown used to. So uh, praise God. Uh, before I, I read my text, let me step into a Barnabas role for just a minute. Barnabas was an encourager. That was his ministry. That was his gifting. I'm sure he did a lot of other things and what have you, but from what we read in scripture about him, he was an encourager. And so I encourage your pastor today and your first lady, sister pastor, whatever they call you around here, prophetess, uh, I encourage them today in the Lord. Thank you for standing your ground. Thank you for not quitting. Thank you for not throwing in the towel. I know it hasn't been easy because I've done the exact same thing. When you start brand new and you've only got a handful of people or two or three people, I remember teaching a Bible study to one lady and she never came back. I am so good at my job. I have sat down to try to help a marriage reconcile and they divorced. I am so good at what I do. And if we're not careful, it becomes personal. 
and we go home with it and we go to bed with it and we wake up with it we go and try and do our other jobs we try to interact with other people we and we carry it with us everywhere we go and it has become personal and they told me brother four they told me from the from the get-go don't take anything personal easier said than done I wish that would have come with an owner's manual because that's our human nature you know and I at times would have to go home and look in the mirror and say they are mad at God not you they don't like his word it's not yours they don't like his word I've had to, you know, the best message you'll ever hear, uh, hear is the one you preach to yourself. And I had to preach that to myself many times. And sometimes just pour it out on an altar somewhere in a prayer closet and say, God, why do these people not like you so much? They love me. They really don't like you. And you're the Savior. You're the Redeemer. You're the Deliverer. I'm just a mere mortal. They love me. I broke bread with them. They love, but they don't like you very much. They don't like doing what you say. Amen. So thank you. I encourage you to keep standing. I encourage you to keep holding up the light. Amen. Second Kings chapter three. Thank you, praise team. Musicians did a great job. Amen. I'm partial to the drums, young man. I've been drumming since I was six, and I still love it to this day. I love it. They don't let me play hardly at all anymore. I, maybe once or twice a year, but uh, I enjoyed so much, amen, seeing you play today and give that gifting and talent to the Lord. Amen. Second Kings chapter 3, I'm going to start reading at verse number 11. Verse number 11. How many of you, when you got in the church, in this church, you brought your work tools with you? I figured that would be the response, Okay. How many of you brought your work tools with you to the lighthouse? <clears throat> but Jehoshaphat said, Is there not a, here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the king of, uh, of Israel's servants answered and said, Here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. I could stop there on that line and preach, but I'm going to keep going. But you just highlight that portion right there when it introduces Elisha and then what he did for Elijah, the man of God. And everybody in this room, take that to heart and commit yourself to do what Elisha did for Elijah. I said I wasn't going to preach it, so let's move on. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elisha said unto the king of Israel, what have I to do with thee? Get thee to the prophets of thy father and to the prophets of thy mother. And the king of Israel said unto him, Nay, for the Lord hath called thee, or called these three kings together to deliver them in the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee nor see thee. Let me park one more time. I'm going to read just a few more verses here. But let me park here for just a moment and tell you. There's a reason why God decided that he wanted to have a bride in West Hartford. There's a reason why God decided to do that. There was a reason why Elisha 
began to regard the request that was being made to him, it was because of one man. There, God only needs one soul. One soul. To send a man of God and his wife so that he could have a bride here in West Hartford. I need one reason to have a church in West Hartford that bears my name. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost up in here. He said, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't even, God wouldn't even look at West Hartford. He wouldn't even consider West Hartford if there wasn't somebody here that's on his radar. But now bring me a minstrel. Well, we got one. He's playing. And it came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. What, what year did you say this city was born? Good night. That's a long time ago. Y'all got some old stuff around these parts. Make this valley full of ditches, for thus saith the Lord, you shall not see wind, neither shall ye see rain. Yet that valley, everybody say that valley, shall be filled with water, that ye may drink both ye and your cattle and your beasts. And this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites also into your hand. Oh, this is extra. Now this is the icing. This is extra. Because that's what this was all about, was Moab. This whole thing was about Moab, and the Lord didn't even deal with Moab. He dealt with water. He dealt with ditches. And then he said as an afterthought, by the way, I'm going to give you the Moabites. And you shall smite every fence city, every fence city, and every choice city, and shall fell every good tree, and stop all wells of water, and mar every good piece of land with stones. And it came to pass in the morning when the meat offering was offered that, behold, there came water by the way of Edom, and the country was filled with water. I'd like to preach with the help of the Lord today, digging my miracle, digging my miracle. Heavenly Father, it's your word. It is not my word. It is not the pastor's word. But it is thus saith the Lord. I pray that your word, you said, I send my word and it healed them. Let the word of the Lord heal today. Let the word of the Lord strengthen today. I offer myself, God, as a living sacrifice right now on your altar. Let your fire burn in me. Let your anointing, Lord God, flow through me today and destroy every yoke of bondage. I say it all in Jesus' name. The Lord bless you. You can be seated. Three kings, not to mention all of their armies and their animals, found themselves in a desperate situation. They had went seven days in the wilderness and they had no water. Now you would think that these being men of war, Men of wisdom, you don't usually become a king of a nation unless you have some wisdom. So people of wisdom, people that have people around them that counsel them and advise them, but somehow, you know, we're all capable of making mistakes. We're all capable of just running past our own minds and our own sense 
and just finding ourselves in a situation. So the dilemma here is that you've gone seven days into a wilderness and you have no water. Now, I'm from the south. And I'm from even further south than where I live now. I'm from South Florida. I grew up in the Everglades. The Everglades is a place that teaches you that you better have some water. If you get out and move around and do things, you better have some water handy. Because it's a tough area to live. It's a tough place. It's very wild. It's where all of your alligators are from and where they live. And we did dumb things growing up, and I won't go too much into detail, but we did some stupid things. And, uh, but we learned that water is something that you have to have. Now, I grew up in the uh, 70s and the 80s, so water was usually found out of a hose. Anybody else? I know now, God forbid, that we drink from the tap. Right? Oh, no, you'll grow a third eye. You'll develop leprosy if you drink from tap water nowadays. It's all a lie because they're trying to get you and I to pay $8 for their tap water that's in a bottle. Am I in the Holy Ghost? So here they are, seven days journey into, and just just let me work a little bit here, seven days into the wilderness. Now the wilderness, and I don't go into all the details, but the wilderness is a place that if you don't have water, you're in trouble. Anybody been in the wilderness? Not just physically speaking, but in life. Have you been in the wilderness? You've been in a dry place? You're like, I'd give anything for a Holy Ghost shout down right about now. I'd give anything to hear pastor lead that certain song. Anybody? You know what it is. When they hit your song, you know, it's over. Some of you, that, that must have been your song today because you went in. That's all. I have more than one song. There's several songs I like. And so it's, it's not an extra. It's not a luxury. It's, it's actually necessary to sustain life. Water is. And without it, of course, we die. We've got to have water. So Jehoram starts blaming God for the dilemma. That's just the default position of humanity. When things are going great, when you get the raise on your job or you get that desired job or uh, you get married or you get the kid and you get this and you get that and you get everything, it's never God's fault. It's look at what I did. I'm human too, right? But as soon. As something goes wrong, it's his fault. How many people have come to me and they've said, you know, well, if God's real, then how come there's all this mess going on in the world? I said, well, I'll have that conversation with you when you'll start giving him glory for all the good that's going on. But if you won't give him glory for the good that's going on, I'm not going to listen to you blame him for all the bad that's going on. Amen? Well, that's not his fault. That's that's because I'm smart. You were until you said that. So here's a, here's a bad influence. Jehoram is a bad influence. Sometimes the biggest problem, listen to me, sometimes the biggest problem in our lives is our friendship circle. It's just the influences that are in our lives. Wrong associations. People that, that just, they, they love to talk. 
They love to say things, and they really don't care how it shapes your world. They just want to say it. I had one guy, and I'll try not to call any names. I have no idea if this is going out or being recorded or whatever, praise God. But uh, anyway, <laughs> we had this, this fella years ago. We had this fella that liked to sit down, pastor, and just have conversation with you, just talk to you, get you talking. And get you talking and everything and had a very disarming personality. And, and in that time of conversation, you would throw some stuff out there about your life, about your marriage, about your job, about your finances, about just things in your life because he had that disarming personality. He liked to say it was a gifting from God. And then we'd get into a service and the Spirit of the Lord would begin to move and we'd have an altar call time and, and all of a sudden he's snuck up next to this guy and he starts telling him what thus saith the Lord. And I'm like, okay. And then this gentleman would come to me and he said, man, so-and-so told me this, 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 and this. And I, man, how could he know that? I said, well, let me pray about it. I knew exactly what it was. But I've learned to just say, let me pray about it. Because I want to make sure that my response was in the Holy Ghost and not in my flesh. And so I prayed about it and I said, Lord, how should I approach him with this? And, and finally, I just asked him, I said, hey, I notice you guys getting close and y'all do some talking and what have you. And are, are, are these things perhaps that you've shared with him? Well, yeah, man, I've talked about all this stuff with him. I said, okay, and then I had to paint the picture, you know. You had to paint the picture and fill in all the gaps. I said, well, perhaps that's why he's come back later and told you the very things that you said. He's like, my goodness. Why do you do that? Well, I said, well, that's somebody that doesn't want to pray and doesn't want to have that walk with God, but they still want to be able to do that stuff. So my advice to him was refine your friendship circle. You might need to move him out a little bit. You got to eliminate the whiners and the complainers. Let me tell you what Pastor Ed Ford and Sister Alyssa Ford do not need. They do not need whiners and complainers. Amen. I don't like whiners and complainers, and God doesn't like whiners and complainers. As soon as they walk through on dry ground, the Red Sea, and it closed back over, and they finally got done with their tambourine-led song, they started whining and complaining about water. Didn't he just bring you through water? And now you're complaining about water. You would think that 2 plus 2 is 4 and that if he could push back and make mountains of water on either side for you to get through on dry ground, he can give you water to drink. But somehow that connection was not being made. Has God ever done something for you and you live through it and it's your miracle and you're armed with it and you get into another dilemma and you forget about that miracle and you start wondering, can God do it? So sift out the doubters and the powders. My dad would always say people that come walking in with their lower lip like a Kirby vacuum cleaner just dragging the ground. Sour. Complaining about everything. Have a deliverance service and deliver yourself from people with no vision, no passion, who spend all their time wallowing in self-pity. Wrong associations will kill you. They'll kill your joy. They'll kill your vision. They'll kill your passion and your faith. 
We've watched it happen 11 and a half years into this church plant, and we've watched it happen with people. We've watched people that were on fire for God and had all kinds of passion, and, but they refused to get rid of their friendship circle or change it. He asked, is there not a prophet that we may inquire of the Lord? So you've got to surround yourselves with people that would walk a single mile or a thousand miles to hear a word from God. Why? I'm here today because of a word from God. I'm standing here today with my wife and my children, blessed and highly favored because of a word from God. Somebody today in this room, I'm going to go ahead and say it, needs to take action. He told me to make myself at home, so I'm going to make myself at home. This, this, you know, when you get in an airplane, and we hate this, right? We finally get to our destination. They tell us we're there, but they say, we just can't land right now. And they start doing that circling thing. I don't like that circling. It's too circly. We're here, land. I'm looking down. They got 800 lanes to land. 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 Because I didn't even think about the flight till we got in that pattern. I never thought about it. I'm reading something or looking at something or I can't sleep on planes, trying to sleep or my favorite, I'm eating something. That passes time, y'all, I'm telling you. And I never even thought about the flight until they come over and they, why do they tell us? Don't even say anything. Just do your job. But they're going to come on there and tell you, we're just going to circle for a while. I start thinking, I wonder how much fuel we do have. Are there other planes circling? (laughs) Is Joe whoever that is controlling all that asleep right now talking to Betty or in the bathroom? I never thought about that stuff until he talked about this pattern. Let me tell you what happens when you and I get in a circling pattern in our walk with God. Not wanting to land. Not wanting to get our boots on the ground and get to work for Jesus. All of this stuff starts to come up. Right? All of these insecurities start to flourish and grow and abound in our lives. Next thing you know, instead of being faith-filled, we're doubt-filled. Can't respond to the word like we used to respond. Can't respond in prayer like we used to respond. Don't even feel the burden of God like we used to feel. Now it takes two or three songs for me to finally get in. But today's the day of breakthrough. He said, he said, make the valley full of ditches. Now listen, when you're thirsty, what's the last thing you want to hear? Get to work. I asked you if you brought your tools when you came to Lighthouse. But we're, we're thirsty. It's not time to drink, it's time to dig. If you've ever dug ditches before, anybody ever dug any kind of hole with a shovel? Thank you for that picture. It's awful work, is it not? Post hole diggers, shovel, I don't care, pickaxe, whatever it is. It is labor intensive and it destroys your back. Right? You get blisters on your hand, you get, you know, it's just just not for us. I don't believe God ever designed it for us. Of course, I'm jesting. Anyway. So they're thirsty. Anybody ever been thirsty? I'm a little thirsty right now. But I'm good. I'm good. 
This is just helping my point here. You get a little bit thirsty, and, and you're like, all I need right now is just a cool drink of water, and I'll be refreshed. And, I, and, go, and, and the man standing in front of you saying, you need to dig a ditch. Don't we have machines for that? Don't we have, and I know everybody thinks that the pastor is the crane. He is the machine. I mean, he's a beast. Don't get me wrong. Your pastor is a beast. But we get into a mindset that, well, him and, him and Sister Pastor, they're, they're the machines, man. They've got all the connections, and they're all wired up, and, and they've got it all together, and all they got. It's so easy for them to just pull up next to wherever they need to and just start digging. Let me tell you something. They have a shovel just like you have a shovel. They don't have no... Komatsu or whatever the machine is, Caterpillar. If you do, I want one because I need one too. But the last time I checked, we just have a shovel like everybody else. It might be a little bit more worn, and people say, well, it's good and broke in. It's pretty close to being broke is what it is. Tell the truth. Tell the truth now. You know, I don't even know if you realize, I'm going to help somebody out today. I don't know if you realize how dangerously close we get as pastors and pastors' wives trying to dig out a work. Because we're not just trying to take over a work, we're trying to dig one out. And that's what God, so God saw something in these people and said, you can do it. And I've equipped you to do it. Well, God, what did you give us? I gave you a rusty old shovel. Oh, does it at least come to a point? No, I gave you the flat one. Why? It's hard ground. Because I'm trying to develop you at the same time that you're working for me. Then, pastor turns around, sister pastor turns around, and they start using the same approach with you. And you're like, why don't you just make it easy? Why not sitting here this morning teaching the word of God so well and breaking it down? We need more of this in the body across the whole world. More of that slowed down teaching and just grinding through it and making sure that all the points are being connected so that we understand. But listen to this. It doesn't matter how much you know. It's always going to come down to sweat effort. Come on, have you ever read a parenting book? Raise your hand. Most of the moms are going to raise their hand. My wife constantly says, here, read this. I'm like, I got it. I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm going to be a little bit honest with everybody today. You know? And I've read some. Let me tell you something. You can read all the parenting books you want to read in the world. You're still going to have problems with your babies. You know the people that wrote those books. The reason they wrote those books is because they had problems with their babies. And they figured I might as well get compensated for the pain that I had to go through. And we all buy into, well, if I just read that book, everything will be fine. If I just read this book, everything will be fine. No, it won't. I know people can quote it from cover to cover, and they still don't know the author. Because until you get a tool or an instrument in your hand and start digging, go out and plant a few little bushes around the house, whatever it is, and some of it's easy. You know, you get in that real soft ground, and, and you're like, man, I can do this with, without even a, 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 I can get one of them little, them little gardening shovels, you know, about that big. 
I can get one of the kids' plastic play shovels and do this. It's so soft. And then you hit a root. Am I right? You ever just broke a shovel? Put your foot on, snap! You're like, that's enough work for today. I don't feel like, because if, if, if this happens again or something worse happens, then I'm probably going to lose the Holy Ghost. So I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a stop for today. We'll, we'll, we'll try this again next year. I'm gonna be listen. This this is I'm just talking about us right now. This is how we are. When the, when it's hard, when it's dry, when it's not easy, it's not you know if you don't have wet soil or damp soil and it's just dry and it's usually difficult to dig in. And here they are in a wilderness. It's dry. It's desert. It's a valley, and they're being told to dig. But we're thirsty. I want you to dig. Why? Because the word of the Lord said this. Tomorrow, there's going to be water in this valley. We haven't seen rain. And he even said, there'll be no rain. There will be no wind. I know what happens to us in the church. I've been in this my entire life. I haven't really been in it. I've been amongst it my whole entire life. And I've really been in it since I was about 17. And I'm whoever cares how old now. It's long enough. 45. I've been in it for a little while, and I know this, that, 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 that when people begin to work and people begin to get there, we start looking for our moments. We start looking for, if they'll just go into that song. I'm, I'm proof positive. I was standing over there, and they were singing the first song. Uh, I will bless the Lord. I will bless the Lord. Brother Ford, I was begging you in the spirit to go into the other bridge. And, my, and I started to sing it. And my daughter leans over. She said, they already said they're not going to go into that today. Why? Why would you not go into the bridge that brings angels down into the room? It's just my opinion, in in my opinion. The drummer was waiting on it because that bridge is fun, a lot of fun when you go into that one. But anyway, he he did, you know, so so I'm proof positive. I was waiting for you to go into it. I was reserving my highest jump. I was ready for it. I grew, Listen, when you grow up in the church or you've been in it for long enough and what have you, we kind of learn stuff. We learn movements in the service. And, and, when I, and, and I'd like to say that it actually is, is, is good, but the truth of the matter, it really is a detriment. Because then when the Spirit comes in and wants to do something that we're not used to, we don't move. Like dig ditches. But I want to shout. I want to have a good Sunday night service. I want the man of God to just minister to me and tell me that everything's going to be okay. What, 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 what are you talking I need you to dig. I want you to break your back for me like I broke my back for you. Sore arms. I'm, listen. Sometimes. 
Where's the tenacity of the church? Where's the backbone of the people of God that say it doesn't matter how I feel, it doesn't matter what's going on in my marriage, it doesn't matter what's happening with my job and my finances, I will praise the Lord. I know that I'm talking to people that have been in this place. It's a low place, dry place. Everything is hard. Thirst has become unbearable. And you have to force yourself to praise the Lord. Force yourself to pray. By the way, prayer is our identity. It's who we are. You know, the, the, the most angry that we ever see God in the flesh is when the church had got outside of its identity and instead of being prayer, it had become a business. That's the only time that you see God robed in flesh, perfect in every way, shape, form, and fashion, with a whip in his hand, kicking over tables and beating on people, that this is going to be the identity of my body, prayer. You can have... The, the, the greatest programs and the and, and I love all this stuff. I love all the things that we have and the nice comfortable seats. But understand that this thing was identified by the creator of all heaven and earth as prayer. It always will be prayer. It will never not be prayer. You know what we need to have? I'm just going to say it in the Holy Ghost. Bishop Shatwell and Wright told me to just say it. If it comes to your mind, say it in the name of Jesus. We need to have another Azusa, but it don't need to start in Los Angeles. It needs to start on the East Coast. We need to have us a reverse Azusa that starts here on the East Coast and sweeps across the nation. In the name of Jesus, let it happen. In the name of Jesus, open up the door of opportunity and give us the boldness to walk through it. You've got to force yourself to read the Bible. Force yourself to go to church. Amen. Flesh don't want to go. When's the last time your flesh wanted to go to church? When's the last time your flesh wanted to pray or read the Bible? Never. Ever. If your flesh wants to do that stuff, you're not human. And I'm, I need to meet you because I haven't met too many superhumans. Dry, empty, your mind is saying this is ridiculous. The devil's telling you it's not worth it. He's just doing his job, y'all. But let me give you a little tip about the enemy. I don't know that we can do this, but I'm going to give you a tip. Forget him. Forget him. Who listens to a defeated foe? Who listen? Now, now here's who I got to pay attention to. Boy, if I had a mirror right now. Here's who I got to pay attention to. Here's who I got to pay attention to. I don't need to pay attention to him. He lost his estate. He's defeated. We even know his outcome. We know his final destination. It's me. That's who I've got to overcome. 
Devil, it's, it's, it's dead. It's never going to happen. God has given you dreams. God has given you visions. I'm going to see if I can resurrect some of them today. God's given you things. You, there are things that God has spoken to you, and you have never shared it with anybody. You've been sitting on it. You're scared to death of it. Because your natural mind has already told you if you do answer that call or you do try to pursue that dream or that vision, then you're going to have to give this up, give this up, give that up, and give that up. Let me tell you why God gave you that, 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 and that in the first place. Is because one day he was going to bring an altar into your life and he wanted to make sure you had something to put on it. All those prophecies. Pastor touches on it. Sister Pastor touches on it. I'm just working in the Holy Ghost here for a second. A song they'll sing, a message that they'll preach or teach or sometimes just in a conversation with you. That word that they speak will all of a sudden reach over there and touch that thing that God prophesied or God said to you. I don't care where it was. We were in Albany, New York, connected in New York just a couple days ago doing a wedding for a young man in our church. And that boy, when he was in his mother's womb, the father had convinced the mother to abort him. And she was convinced of it, had already made the appointment. And she was invited to go to a church service. Not even a place that has the fullness of truth, not even close. But she went out of desperation. She went with her mom. She went to this church service. There was a guest speaker there. And he was, I actually got to meet the man that was there. And he was preaching. And he stopped in the middle of his message. He walked over to this woman. And he said, God told me to tell you that that child in your womb has a call on its life. I have called that child. On that word and that word alone, she did not abort her son. Joshua Richardson... And, and let me give you a little bit more to it. I'll add a little bit more to it. They never told us this. We're 11 and a half years in. I think that they've been with us right at the 11-year mark. Almost from the beginning, they've been with us, right? And we've grown to know these people. They're, they're family. They've been there from almost day one, and they're just family. His mother was so uh, messed up when she got to us, when the Lord uh, introduced us. You know how we met them? We didn't know how we were going to meet people. We're not from that area. We didn't work in that area. We didn't live in that area. We're like, how are we going to meet people? So my wife came up with the, the idea. Uh, she plays the piano and actually has her degree in it and all that kind of stuff, and so she can actually teach the theory of it. I learned to play the drums just by watching. I loved it so much, I just sat there and I'd see you do something in church and I'd come off the hi-hat and I'd go home and practice till I got it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. He knows what I'm talking about. The rest of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. I learned the 16 beat by just watching somebody. I learned uh, all of your double and triple bass. Uh, I learned all that by just watching. And then I'd go do it. I loved it. And my wife's like, you know what we should do? Let's get some of those little stick-in-the-ground signs like the yard sale, garage sale signs. Let's get some of those, and we'll put uh, drum lessons on one side and piano lessons on the other side. We'll find out what everybody's charging. We'll undercut them, do real cheap. We'll just do it to meet people. I said, okay. Now I'm over there thinking, how am I going to teach somebody how to do this crap? Watch me. <laughs> Can you do that? <laughs> I said, I'll hold their hands if I have to. <laughs> and and so, we, we, but before we put them in the ground, Sister Pastor, before we put them in the ground, we anointed them with oil. We believe in that stuff, y'all. We just believe in that stuff. We got us out some of the, you know, we, we always use the light, you know, extra, extra light olive oil. We ain't trying to mess people's diet up. But anyway, 
We anoint those signs. We pray them. We say, God, you know our heart. You know our intentions. We just want to meet people in this area. And then we say, where should we put them out? So, well, let's put them in high traffic areas. Let's go over by the schools and what have you and put it out. So we put them in the ground. No sooner have we put it in the ground that my phone rings. And this lady calls me, and she says, I just bought my, my grandson some drums uh, for, for Christmas, and, and I'm looking for an instructor. Somebody can teach him. I'm like, of course I would get the first call. <laughs> Not her, me. I would get the first call. And so I said, absolutely. And I said, well, look, I, t- I teach at our little, uh, I'm a pastor. we got a little church building. It was, the first building was 860 square feet. The sanctuary was about 610 square feet. We had 20 chairs. In that sanctuary, if you wanted to sit on the back row, you were on the second row. <laughs> row number two. No hiding at all. My wife put up a little piece of furniture and a couple of trees to break up when you walk in the front door, but you were in. You were in. You opened the door. Welcome to God's house. You're here. And so I go over there. I start teaching him drum lessons. I have, I have this connection with this young man. This would be Josh. Josh had just got married. be his older brother, Matt. And have this connection with him. And, and, and your pastor was talking about being an introvert, and he definitely got an extrovert over here. Uh, and, and then all my friends are introverts like him. So God knows we all need each other. That's what it is. They, God put me in this man's life so he would laugh over nothing. Just laugh. And then God put him in my life so that I'd stop laughing sometimes and be serious every now and again. So God could get my attention. But anyway, so I, I, I teach him, I'm teaching the journalist, and then he opens up to me, and he's like, he said, hey, do you think you could help me? I said, and I was waiting for him. I was like, yes, I can help you. I didn't even know what he was going to ask. And he's like, well, I got in some trouble, and I've got some community hours to work off. I'm like, yeah, what do you need? He said, well, i gotta, I got to you know, do some volunteer work and what have you. And I said, well, what did you do, man? I vandalized some people's property or whatever, just being a knucklehead. And I said, okay. I said, well, tell you what. You come to church on Sunday morning. We're here for about an hour. You come in, come a little bit early, help me clean the, the front windows. We got a little squeegee deal. Clean these front windows. I'm going to clean those windows more than any window has ever been cleaned in the world. I just wanted it shine. And we, I said, you come help me, and we'll clean these windows. You stay for church. I'll give you three hours every Sunday. I'll sign off on it. He said, okay, I can do that. Oh, he didn't know what he was bargaining for. Right? So he comes in. He starts helping to clean. the And, and while we're cleaning, we're talking. You know, and I'm connecting with this young man, and we're just, and I've been in youth ministry for years and everything. I love teenagers, love teenagers. And so we're connecting, and, and, and I'm finding out stuff about his family. I'm finding out he doesn't have a father in his life. And when I was youth leader in my dad's church all those years uh, back in Florida, I, at one point I had 36 teenage boys, and only two had a dad in their life. So this was my will. This was a gift from God for a, a man and his wife who was trying to start a church and just be obedient to the call of God. This was a gift from God. He gave me what I was comfortable with. And he usually don't do that. Right? He usually gives you an old rusty tool and says, dig. But he gave me one. Thank you, Jesus. And so I'm like, yeah, I got this. I got tons of experience with this. So I start doing all that I learned through trial and error, and I learned how to, how to connect with these young men, and I connected with him. Next thing I know, he comes to church on Sunday morning, and he brings his family. Now, you would have to know this young man to know that what I just said is a miracle. Self-proclaimed atheist, hates church, hates God. I mean, he doesn't really. He just says that stuff. Walks in with his mom and his grandfather and his grandmother and his little brother Josh. 
Josh comes in, he'd kill me for saying this, but he was a little roly-poly, little chunky boy, 13 years old, a lot of still holding on to his baby weight. And he comes in, and here is a young man that is, that, that young man, deer in the headlights look, that doesn't know if his mom's even going to be alive tomorrow. He has no clue what would happen to his life if his mom doesn't make it. She got injured on a job. She's now 32 pills a day to just make it. In the first two to three months that we knew her, she tried to take her life three times. Talked to her on the phone several times at a psychiatric ward of a hospital. She said, I've only got a few minutes to talk, but I don't know what to do, and I'm just trying. We asked for this. We asked to connect. We asked to meet people. This is who we meet. I got to fast forward. She's our Sunday school director today. If she walked in this building right now, you would call me a liar at what you would just witness from the outside. No pills in her life. Not one pill is she taking and hasn't for years. All the doctors of the world could say is every time she came in said, I just tried to kill myself, they said, well, we're going to prescribe this, this, and they'd send her home with even more prescriptions. But not Dr. Jesus. Not Dr. Jesus. So Josh starts growing, and he starts losing weight. He starts growing up, and he starts uh, figuring some stuff out, and hope starts coming in, and he starts to believe that, that everything's going to be okay. Now a young man, 24 years old, just got married, and, 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 and he is called of God. He's going to preach the gospel. He's already preaching the gospel on, on certain levels. But he has a call of God on his life uh, to be a youth leader, to be a pastor, whatever it is that God has for him, it's going to happen. He's well on the way for that taking place. And this is a young man that, that he comes into church, doesn't tell us anything. We don't even know this part. We thought we knew everything. We did not know anything about the abortion, nothing. And then we had an evangelist come, and he preached for us, and, and this was probably, I think, about four or five years ago. And they've been with us 11 years, so they were years into, into the church there. And this man of God's there preaching, and in the middle of his message, he stops, and he goes over to this young man, and he tells him something. We all didn't hear what he said, but he said it to him. And later, Josh come and told me, he said, you're not going to believe what uh, Brother Chris Green just told me. I said, well, what did he tell you? He said, well, he told me that when I was in my mother's womb, God called me. And I, that was my first time hearing it. I said, well, praise God. Like, I didn't even know how to respond to it. I was like, well, that's awesome. I could tell by his face this was huge news. But he, just, he said, he just told me that when I was in my mother's womb, God called me. I said, well, glory to God. That's awesome. That's wonderful. And he's like, no, no, you don't get it. I'm like, I'm not getting something. <laughs> I know I'm supposed to be responding here, but help me. And he, then he told me about what had happened with his mom when he was in her womb with that other preacher and what have you. And nobody knew except for the source where it came again. And he needed that even at that time of his life. He needed that word. But in the meantime, from 13 to 18, 17, 18, he had a shovel in his hand. You know what he really had in his hand? We had septic tank issues for years at our church. And we needed somebody to get there every morning before church started and every evening before church started and make sure that that pump was turned on and that thing was pumped out because it didn't work properly and the landlord didn't want to do anything about it. And that young man 
would get out there with sometimes with gloves on, sometimes he forgot them so he didn't have them. I never had to worry about the septic tank. Think about that, y'all, a septic tank. That's one of the worst inventions ever, in my opinion. And he'd be out there with that stuff on his hand. We'd pull up to church, and he'd smiling on his face and waving out. I'd be like, I hope he washes that before I shake it. And he's, he's waving at us, and, and, everything, and he's digging. And he dug his way into a miracle. He dug his way right into a miracle. The fact that he was standing there, and I'm officiating this wedding for him, and he is launching into the second greatest relationship he'll ever have in his life. All because he's willing to dig and get his hands dirty. You're looking at your present situation. You're looking right now. You're staring at the impossible. You're saying there's no way. And you don't understand the word of the Lord because the word of the Lord today is telling you that it's time to work. It's time to dig. It's time to break your back. And you're like, that's not what I came to church to hear today. I came to hear that God's going to come in and swoop in with a miracle. He has a miracle for you. But it's hidden. It's just under the surface. Some of you, you will dig and you'll strike oil. It'll be eureka 10 feet down. Some, though, you're going to have to go a little bit further. Why? Because there's things in me that only he knows about. There's things in my life and my mind, and I have disqualified myself from so many different things because I wasn't willing to put in the time and the effort to dig that deep. I see it. It shows up every now and again. I'm going to try to close here. I've seen it every now and again. I definitely see it when pastor gets up and he starts being transparent. He starts talking about the things that God has brought them through and his wife. And they start sharing that stuff and ministering to us. I see it. And I want to be like that, but I, I don't think I could put in that kind of effort. That kind of effort is going to take time away from the other things that I'm doing. Eternity is exactly what the word says it is. It's forever. World without end. No clocks. No hourglasses. No punching the time clock for all the stuff that we have to do. And every decision that you and I make has eternal consequences. Bow your heads for just a moment. Lauren, on your word, you were bringing water, you said, tomorrow. That was the word, you cannot lie. But the preparation for the people of God so that we don't lose everything that you bring tomorrow was to dig capacity, to make room, to make room for the anointing, to make room for the gifting and the talent and the ability that you will bring to make room for the miracle. I know it's been hard. It's been dry. Everybody's been throwing dirt in your face. But I came to tell you today that it's a setup. That God is getting ready to flip the script. And there's going to be water 
in this valley tomorrow. The Lord gave me a message probably about a month ago, month and a half ago, entitled, Tomorrow is Today. Because we're not promised tomorrow. So I can't afford to sit here and say, well, it's going to happen tomorrow. I declare to you that tomorrow is today. Can we stand? Elijah said, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. He picked it up in his spirit, and I believe that somebody is picking up something in their spirit even now. There's a scripture that talks about the scent of water. Yet through the scent of water, it will bud and bring forth boughs like a plant. Not the actual taste of water, not the actual water itself, but just the scent of it. And ever since we walked into this building, ever since we got into this city, I have, in the Spirit, had the aroma of the miraculous. It's here. It is here. Miracles are here. The miraculous is already here. But I can't see a difference. I can't feel it. That's why it's called a miracle. You won't see it with your natural eye. You won't even be able to comprehend it with your natural mind. But if I could possibly urge you enough and persuade you to pick up your shovel, pick up a spade, pick up a pickaxe, I don't care if you have to use your bare hand. But could I persuade and push Lighthouse Tabernacle today to begin to dig? Begin to dig. Begin to dig. And tap into that miracle. Dig for your miracle. This altar is open. I would love to pray with you today. If you would come, I believe that the Lord would give me the opportunity and the ability.